Welcome to the Gloria Purvis Podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me, and I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. My guest today is Sister Norma Pimentel. Sister Norma is the Executive Director of Catholic Charities in the Rio Grande Valley and a well-known advocate for migrants at the southern border. I want to talk to Sister Norma because sometimes we can get issue fatigue around immigration. And how do we keep this issue front and center? I think part of it is having conversations with good souls like Sister Norma that reminds us what is happening at the border. And also to see that she's able to maintain a a joy, if you will, even amidst this very difficult work. She and I talk about some of the preconceived ideas about migrants, and we challenge a lot of them. I mean, what do we know about Border Patrol? What do we know about the people coming in through our borders? Is it that we have no idea who these people are? I think Sister answers that by telling us that, no, the Border Patrol does know who these people are. We learn a little bit about their process, and we find out, actually, that quite a few people do get turned away. And speaking of turning people away, we talk about, well, what happens with pregnant women? You know, we're pro-life, we care for pregnant women, but how does the system impact pregnant women before we're able to even get to minister to them? We talk about that with Sister Norma. And I think it's important to speak to the people on the ground, people meeting the migrants face-to-face, people seeing how the system works, what the rules are, how people are impacted. And this helps remind us of why we are involved in the issue of immigration and dignity and the human dignity of these people crossing the border, or at least trying to cross the border. So you might notice a little change in the audio quality. And that's because in the midst of Sister Norma being at the border, we were able to get her and whip something together using equipment that she has that may not be the most modern, but that's really a function of who she is. She's working at the border with people and having the latest and greatest isn't necessarily a part of her ministry. So keep that in mind as you listen, but stay with us. I mean, it's a great conversation. The Gloria Purvis Podcast is a production of America Media, where real, honest conversations are happening on the most important issues at the intersection of the church and the world. And that's unique. For example, this conversation with Sister Norman Pimentel, we were talking with someone who's face-to-face with actual migrants. We take the conversation from the clouds to the concrete. And look, you may not agree with everything we publish or even everything we talk about on this podcast, and that's okay. That's healthy. We need to listen to each other and be open to different ideas and perspectives. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, please support it by getting a digital subscription to America. How do you do that? Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe and sign up today. The link is in the show notes. Stick around. My conversation with Sister Norma Pimentel is up next. Sister Norma, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so excited to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here with you. So one of the things I think is interesting, people just think that sisters appear out of nowhere, but I would love if you would share your vocation story with us. Well, it's a funny story, actually. I think that people like to, uh, I always try to put humor into any chance I get. 
And honestly, after I graduated from college, Bachelor's of Fine Arts, ever since I can remember, I've always loved to paint and to uh, first grade teacher might had me do a mural of the nativity. She put bush of paper in the whole wall and, and I did that first grade, you know. And so oh. since then, and always, I've always loved art. When I graduated from college, my plans were like to go and get my profession in art was like so open with great possibilities. And so I was ready to go on my own. And my dad kind of like deflated my my spirit and said, no, you're coming home. <laughs> and so I had to rethink my plans as to how to manage my dad so that I can get away with going where I wanted to do, you know, all the possibilities <laughs> that this profession was uh, ahead of me, you know, and I just uh-huh. said, no, I, I have to go. But so I kind of waited at home, kind of figuring out what to do. And I decided that I just needed to go back to school and study and do some more art at school. And that way, my dad would not object to it. And so that was my plan. As I was waiting at home, I called a friend of mine. I've always really liked her as one of my best friends. And my dad liked her, too. So that's why I called her. You know? And so I said, what are you doing tonight? And she said, oh, we're going to a prayer group very religious and that's why my dad liked her you know <laughs> and uh, I said what are you gonna do after the prayer group and she says we're going to pizza hut and I said perfect come pick me up after the prayer group <laughs> and so she said no no you have to come to the prayer group Norma because we can't just go all the way over there and then come back for you so you gotta come to the prayer group. I mean it's really amazing how God works you know and so I ended up going to the prayer group mm-hmm. and at the end of the prayer group, they asked if anybody wanted to be prayed over, and they made a circle in the center. And Linda just said, sit at the circle, Norma, we'll pray for you. And so mm-hmm. she knew I was struggling with my dad and, and the mm-hmm. situation I was facing. And so I did, and it, all these old ladies and everybody just put their hands all over everybody that was in the circle. I was one of them. Something happened. Something happened that changed me completely that, that day, you know, that night. And so I had this desire to know more about God, just completely drawn to God in a, in a way that I've never, ever, ever had to the point that my mom even said, are you going to be a nun, you know? And so I answered her, say, what if I am, you know? And so anyway, I entered the religious life a couple of months after that, you know? And so look um, at that. it was just this thing that I was drawn to to God. It was, I discovered God for the first time in my life, you know? And so mm-hmm. I wanted more. And so more meant entering the religious life. So that's my professional. Beautiful. My story. All because you thought you could get some pizza and get out of the house. <laughs> Can you believe that pizza that did it to me? You know, it's like, oh. <laughs> Whatever happened to your girlfriend, Linda? Did she end up joining religious life too? No, 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 no. no. I, you know, I'm this kind of person that I, I am. Like I look at something and I go for it, you know, a hundred percent right away. You know, I don't hold back. I don't, I don't like, well, maybe, you know, I go for it. And if it's, if it's, I made something wrong, I just pull back and say, you know what, Norma, change course. So I have to ask this, you know, you work at the board, you're overseeing Catholic charities in the Rio Grande Valley. And let's just step back for a second, because I imagine there are a lot of people listening that have no idea what goes into serving people at the border. They have no idea what the conditions are like. They have no idea 
of the needs of the people coming from another country trying to cross over into the United States. Could you set that context for our listeners? What is border life like for people coming in and for those trying to serve? Yes, yes, of course. You know, being the fact that I live here at the border, I get to witness what's happening at the border on a daily basis. I mean, if I, you see what I see, you will be drawn to reach out and do whatever you can to help. You know, and, and it's a nonstop. You know, it's like for one, if you go to just across to the Mexican side, just cross the river at the Rio Grande into Mexico, you have Reynosa, you have Matamoros here in this in this particular sector of where people enter a lot through this area, mm-hmm. for whatever reason that is, but that many people end up at the border towns in the other side. And you just see hundreds and hundreds of people just homeless there in the middle of nowhere, uh, trying to find a place where they can lay down and sleep and, you know, with the weather as bad as it is. Yeah. And then they just start to congregate one after another one and another one. And before you know, you have so many just waiting, hopeful. Maybe, maybe I get a chance to cross into the United States. Maybe I can get accepted and, and claim asylum. I don't know. They are all with this hope. They run away from their countries and you stop and think and talk to them. ¿Qué pasó? What? ¿Por qué estás aquí? You know, why are you here? Yeah. You know, and it's because just it's not possible to be at home in my country because it's so dangerous for my child, especially my kids. And so you ask, talk to mothers and you talk to parents and they say, you know, that their life in their country is so great risk, especially for their kids. And so... They can't work because it's dangerous. They, they have no jobs. The kids can't even go to school sometimes because if they do, you don't know if they're going to come back home after school. Kids get kidnapped. It's so sad to see the tragic life that these people live and fear as they journey north, hoping that they can find their way all the way to the United States. And in the meantime, everybody that has a chance takes advantage of them. They rob them. They kidnap them. They hurt them in ways that... I don't know. I feel so sorry how sad it is to see people sleeping on the ground. They have only cardboards and asking me, do you think you could get me maybe a mat or something where I can we can sleep? I'm pregnant. I'm already, I don't know how many months pregnant. And, and the situation is the same for every single person. Those that manage to cross into the United States, Border Patrol process them and in many cases, they are deported back to the country. Others are sent back to Mexico under Title 42 because the border is closed. And that's the law since the previous administration. And so that hasn't changed. In the meantime, we offer them a chance to get cleaned up, eat, maybe see a medical attention if they need it, and pretty much quickly leave right away and go to be with their family or friends, whoever's sponsoring them, while they wait for their court hearings and immigration process. And so this is, in a nutshell, a little bit of what happens at the border. And what I see is a lot of human mystery, human suffering, people really needing help. One of the things that I'm thinking about is people listen to you right now. They are assured they're probably going to have access to clean water. They probably have some place to lay their head. They probably have some place to sit down if they're tired. They probably are pretty sure that they're going to be safe wherever they are right now. But if they can understand for someone coming through basically the desert is what I would say, with none of that, with none of that security, not even knowing that once they get where they're going, that they're going to be achieving their goal of being able to get into the United States to better their lives, 
to have access to just basic things that would keep them safe, healthy, and alive. They have none of that. And the fact that they're completely exposed out there as they're traveling, having to trust who's ever leading the way. I mean, it's a very arduous journey. And it's not one where you have access to like showers and, you know, a beautiful pillow top mattress. You know what I mean? It's hard on the body physically and psychologically, emotionally, all of that. And all knowing that also those coming with their children, they want a better life for their children. And I think it's hard sometimes for people to put themselves in that situation because they've never experienced lack. If that's the way I can say, they've never experienced not having. And I've lived outside the United States in some pretty poor places. And I, you know, didn't grow up like that. Having experienced it, I have a sensitivity for the people making these arduous journeys for reasons of trying to have a better life for themselves and for their children. And I think it's important for us to have that conversation because too often, I think it's easier to say that, you know, people are struggling and people not really getting the depths of that poverty, that misery, that uncertainty, and also the depths of their hope that could sustain them through such a long, hard journey to get to the border of the United States to try to get in and oftentimes being met with a crushing, no, you got to go back. So for the few who do get through and Catholic Charities has the opportunity to care from them, I imagine you see people in pretty bad shape. Those that manage to uh, be able to remain in the United States, thank God they're the lucky ones. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not for the most part. Most of them don't, you know, at least not right now. Mm-hmm. Um, policies in the United States are pretty harsh and pretty firm about trying to keep as many people out of the United States. And so those that manage to stay, the one thing they need is to be able to get some legal representation, somebody yes. to really guide them to help bring forward the reasons for being here and, and to legally navigate that process. It's not an easy thing for nobody, not even for us. So it much mm-hmm. less for them who have no sense of what to do. And so they have a long journey ahead. And in main great part, many of them will be the sent back home, you know, and, and that's a fact, you know, unless you can actually prove that you have a legit, credible fear for your lives and you can yeah. prove it, not just say it, but prove it. Prove it. Yeah. Not going to be easy because when they left, they didn't think, oh, I'm going to have to prove that I fear for my lives. And so let me grab this newspaper. Let me grab this right. other thing. They don't. They just run away, you know, and so they don't have it easy. And so it's tough, you know, and many people say, well, I've seen that kind of misery. Well, maybe so. But the truth is, until you see you know, every single human being you have before you who is suffering, until you see that face and that child and that mother and that circumstances, you will not understand fully what this family and this person is going through. And so I think that sometimes we dismiss it so easily saying, well, they break the law or they shouldn't come or, you know, I've seen that before. And somehow our hearts get hard, you know. Yes. And uncaring when we actually witness truly witness with your own eyes human suffering it's not until then that you can recognize and say i care i have a friend who for a time he's a lawyer he would try to make the cases for the people coming into the united states and he said he didn't know how he'd be able to last because the kinds of things he heard were so awful. 
the kinds of things that these people had to tell him. He said he just was just like mothers with their children in the room having to reveal these horrible things that they had experienced and doing so in the presence of their child because they had to tell their story to be documented and, and assessed as to whether or not, you know, they were really fleeing from something like you say, but is it the rise of crime? What are the other things that people are saying just to help our listeners understand? They're not just running for nothing and saying life is uncomfortable. There are specific kinds of things that are happening. Well, you know, it almost appears like it maybe things could be okay, but I'm, and the truth is there's so much crime crime by organized crime, by cartels, by gangs that truly take advantage of going into any home that they want and taking whatever they want. And basically you're not safe because of that. And even if you had a business or you try to put a little small selling something, they'll come and ask you, okay, I need certain percentage of what you're making. And sometimes even more than it costs you to get whatever you want to sell, you know, whether it's uh, some food that you're making, you just can't make it any way you want to look at it. You cannot even work to take care of your family. And then your family is in danger. And then if you witness anybody being killed or anything happening to them, then you will also be eliminated because you're a threat to them. And so you cannot even see or say or do anything that will endanger your life because you become a threat to this organized crime. And there's so much corruption and so much extortions and people are not safe at all. You know, that's the fear. You know, if only countries like ours could really develop and help towards establishing infrastructure that is safer, that people can work, people can actually go to school, you know, and things like that. And it's sustainable because sometimes maybe one president will support some initiatives like that and the next mm-hmm. one will just eliminate it. So this needs to be a, a follow-up, things that cannot be just brought down because uh, this other president does not agree with this. And so he'll just dismantle all the good that was already initiated by some previous administrations. And so there needs to be a flow of continuity to help these communities, these countries develop. We'll be right back. If you were to list some things or what would be the first step you think to improve the immigration system from your point of view on the ground? I mean, you're right there. What would maybe be one of the first steps? I think it starts by establishing good living conditions for people to work, to be able to stay home. And at the same time, also to create good, safe pathways for people to migrate without having to expose and put their lives in danger. For example, making sure that those people that are going to be able to ask for asylum can have a safe way of doing so without having to risk their life and expose their life and their children and their families into so big dangers that they do. But I don't know, you know, I think the United States is blessed immensely and has the potential to do so much. And I think we pull back because we just allow ourselves to be in this political back and forth and not really engaged in in finding solutions that really will resolve big issues like what we're seeing here at the border, you know, that are not, this is the after effect. We have to address it at the root causes, you know, so Mm -hmm. that we can make things right, you know, and and I just try to pretend I'm doing something, you know. How do you address these people that claim, look, all these people coming in, this is an invasion of the country and that kind of stuff. We hear a lot of that kind of talk. 
And I'm like, what if you could say something to people that have this sort of attitude and really even a fear of people coming in, what would you say to them to maybe help them? A lot of the feelings and how people respond to the whole immigrate, what what is happening at the border comes about because of the fear that is put in our heads, you know, that this is, we have to be afraid of the great numbers of people that are entering the country and we have to be afraid of who they are and what they're going to be doing. A lot of that is a lot of misinformation, honestly. Mm. I mm-hmm. have spent, I walk in them with these families and I'm, they're all good people. They're like my own brothers and sisters, my own family, you know, like us, you know, and they're no different. They're, they want to work. They want to be able to take care of their family. They bring family values. They truly, you know, they care for their children. If you just see them, how they go out of their way to protect and care for their families and especially their kids. It's so they bring so much richness of values that we should embrace, you know, and not be afraid of, you know. And so our law enforcement at the border, our border patrol, are fine young men and women that are trying to do their job. And they are, they actually are doing it in making sure they know who enters our country. And you can hear the voice of the border patrols, many of them that come and they address and they say, this family really needs your help, sister. Make sure that they get what they need, you know. So our law enforcement is good men and women. We might have a couple that may have a mind of their own and, and have their own personal opinions about immigration and mistreat the families they see. But for the most part, I would say the great majority of them are fine men and women that really do their job to protect our country, to keep it safe and respect the lives of the people that they're facing on a daily basis, especially the families and the children that they see are victims of all this crime. Yes. And speaking of families and children, I'm curious as to what happens to women who are pregnant coming to the border. What is the pregnancy care like for women coming to the border? You know, right now, any woman that is pregnant, if she's not about to deliver that baby, you know, days from delivery, she's going to be sent back because the border is closed. The border is closed. It has been, it's something that our previous administration put in place as a deterrence, as a way to hold back people from entering, especially because of COVID. It was Mm -hmm. very conveniently said. The border is closed. Everybody that attempts to enter the United States is sent back or deported back to their country. With the exceptions of only some people that are not able to be sent back because, for one, Mexico does not allow them to return back any children under the age of seven. So these are the only families that we actually see in the United States. The rest, everybody else is sent back, except sometimes when a mother or a woman is about to give birth, literally, she probably is in her labor pains or just days from delivering, they will be allowed to remain in the United States. That's why so many Border Patrol have delivered babies right at the riverbanks, you know? Wow. Because the women actually risk their lives and go into the water. It's almost like baptism, you know? Immerse into the water to save their family. You know? Wow. That's their only way to do it because otherwise, if they cross through the bridge, they will be sent back. So we do have at our center many pregnant women that either are about to give birth or just gave birth. Almost every day we have a child that is born that was rushed to the hospital because she's given birth or Border Patrol just brought them over because they just gave birth. It's kind of shocking, you know, in that the Catholic Church, you know, we are pro-life. Many Americans are pro-life. 
And yet I'm hearing you tell me, unless the woman's about to give birth, she gets sent back. That to me is sent back to some uncertainty, to the difficulties that she was already trying to flee, the hard journey they already made, that we send Mm -hmm. them back unless they're about to give birth right then. Wow, that's tough to hear. That's tough to hear. Yes, it is tough, I know. And it's hard to understand that we can be okay sending people back to a country that is not safe because we know there's a lot of crime, a lot of organized crime. I mean, even the people from Mexico are at great risk. Even us, we are told not to go to Mexico because it's not safe. Yet really? We return so many thousands of people every day to Mexico. I'm hearing this and I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you avoid just depression or just not being crushed by all of this? That's so, woo. You know, when I walk through the camp and the families that are, they bring me joy, they, mm. the joy of life, the joy of a kid playing, you know, and I join them and I play with them with the, whatever they're doing. And, you know, it's beautiful to see human life, even though they're in great mystery or whatever. But at the same time, you know, I, my heart breaks just to mm-hmm. see the conditions they're in and come home thinking I'm coming home to a nice, comfortable bed, a clean room. You know, I have food, I have water, I have whatever I need, you know, and they don't, you know, it's so sad that why life can give to some what they need and others, they don't have anything, you know? And so truly my prayer life, my connection with God is what sustains me and holds me and keeps me centered and keeps me going every single day. I'm ready in the morning to hit the road and <laughs> and do what I can do, you know, because I know it matters. My efforts, my my presence matters. And so I, I try to do what I can every single day. That's beautiful, right? Yes, indeed, that's beautiful. And I, I remember you telling the story of some children. I can't remember where we were, but you were telling the story of the little children behind fences. I guess they were in cages, so to speak. And all I remember, I will never forget this now. They were saying, are you the man? Are you the man? And I thought I was going to just break down because I'm, I'm visualizing these little children, just kids, no adults with them. And they're seeing you and asking you for help. And I imagine that those kinds of faces and those kinds of needs also give you the oomph, if you will, to get up and do this again and go and see them because you know yes, they need you. Totally. I mean, you know, that, you. that experience, that moment that I witnessed where I was, and I share it every time because that grounded me to the fact that, my God, we have to do something. Yes. Let children be suffering in those conditions. Yes. Kids that are not older than five, 10 years old, just saying, please help me. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's like we're doing something wrong if we have kids doing that, you know. And so, yes, I, I can always, when I say it and share it, I always bring myself to that precise moment when I see those little faces full of tears, all dirty and muddy and, and telling me, please help me, you know, my goodness, you know, you have had the chance to address the Holy father and Pope Francis has followed your work and thanked you for it. And he's put a priority on immigration. Like, you know, this is something that the church must address. What impact has Pope Francis had on your work? 
Oh my goodness. Well, you know, it's the most beautiful thing. You know, Juan, you always have like a bucket list. One of the things I would always love to do is meet the Holy Father, you know, at least yeah. you know, get to see him in person. But, you know, oh my God, I would never would have expected him to come to know, ask me and call me out and say, come Ben, 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 you know, come over here. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. You know, I was like, oh my God, it's me. He wants to talk to you. Know? It's like, oh, I, it's the most wonderful thing. And that this, man who I look up to, who is our spiritual father here on earth and knowing me, you know, and telling me he loves me. It's wow. It's like, let me tell you, I, everything else is can happen. And it's, it's a wonderful <laughs> thing. You know, he's great. <laughs> he, my life changed from that day because of course I got so much attention from the whole world, you know, mm-hmm. and anywhere I go and everywhere I go, I run into people that probably saw that video and on TV in 2020 and, People that are, are not even Catholic will come up to me at the airport and say, you know, I'm not Catholic, but I saw you in that 2020 and I cry with you of joy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's amazing. You know, there's something special about Holy Father, you know, his presence that just transforms us, you know, to feel something amazing. Oh, I felt it as you're just retelling it. I can feel the energy with it and the excitement and just how special you must have felt. And the fact that so many people, that's also the influence of the Holy Father that people sometimes may not remember. Everybody, Catholic and non-Catholic, pays attention to him and what he says and does. And his highlighting you and your work, hopefully has brought so many good things to what you're needing. At least people willing to give you the resources or whatever you need to be able to serve the people coming in at the border. And I think that's the emphasis we need to have. These are people. These are members of the human family. These are people made in the image and likeness of God. They are part of our human family. We are all this human family. And I'm so thankful that you are there to help and to comfort and to shine a light on the conditions of our brothers and sisters on the other side of the border coming into the United States. Sister Norma, is there anything that you would want our listeners to perhaps know about things at the border that maybe isn't said in the broader media that maybe you might want them to know? You know, one of the things uh, I believe that we don't hear in the media is the fact that what we see at the border is people. You know, we just see, we hear about the statistics and numbers, how terrible it is that all these people are coming and many of them criminals. And they highlight different aspects of the immigrants. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that we fail to hear is the responsibility that we all have as human beings to one another, to humanity, to human life. We have a responsibility. That's why we're blessed. We are truly blessed by our beautiful, wonderful God. But with that blessing comes great responsibility. And so we fail to recognize that it's not an option. It's a Mm -hmm. mandate, a mandate from God to make sure we look out for each other. And that means everybody. Amen. It's a mandate from God that we look out for everybody. Thank you so much, Sister Norma. I'm just so happy that we were able to talk. And thank you for everything that you're doing to represent, to be the hands, the feet, the face of Christ for all the people trying to come safely over. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're tuning into the Glory of Purpose podcast and journeying with me through these important and sometimes challenging conversations. Please 
Share this episode with a friend or family member. And be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app. And could you do me a favor? Leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis and on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Sebastian Gomes and engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. We'll see you next time.